John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Accessed entry 577PR1413, certificate number 42615. Heil, honey, I'm home. Heil, honey. 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 It's great to be Top Gun, but it's nothing like the fun that I get when I say Heil Honey, I am home. In 1990, a British TV channel produced a new situation comedy that combined everyone's two favorite things, comedy and Hitler. Two great tastes that taste great together, I guess and produced Heil Honey, I'm Home with a 13-episode commitment. They were <laughs> they were going to run this all winter. 13 episodes, like in the UK. Think about it. That's that, a that lot. Would, that would make it the longest-running show in British television history. That's more than The Office, right? Yeah, Office is, uh, I think, 12 shows plus specials. Faulty Towers, I think, is just two six-episode seasons. So they were, they were confident that Hitler would be more than twice as popular as either Ricky Gervais or Basil Fawlty. So this is a domestic comedy where Hitler is effectively the dad. You can get all that from the title, right? Heil, honey, I'm home. And and honey is Eva Braun in this story? <laughs> Have you seen this? It's uh, like you're, you're or, pitching me all these great ideas, but they're already in the show, John. Or, or is, is honey uh, Blondie the, Blondie yeah, honey's the, the German dog. shepherd? <laughs> Uh, Hitler did have a dog named Blondie. That's true. Um, probably with an umlaut. I don't know. Blondie. Blondie. That's my favorite. My favorite death metal band. Blondie. There probably is some terrible Aryan skinhead band named for Hitler's dog. I, I wonder if there is. I if there is. If there isn't, there ought to be. It's true. But listen, I don't think we have any uh, white supremacists listening to this show. Well, we're speaking to the future in which all race has been erased. Right. There won't be such a thing as white. It's either been erased by you know, some natural disaster that killed off every race, you know, the meteor or whatever. Right. Or just by aggressive uh, sex. Sure, interbreeding. Not not aggressive sex, but, you know, widespread, joyful interracial mingling. I think, uh, speaking to future listeners, there's a general consensus among those of us who are not against this idea that just the growing internationalism of our species will eventually produce a sort of unified 
or general mochaccino-ness to all humans. We'll all be basically the color of milky coffee. And there's even the sense, I think, unless you're some terrible purist. Anti-misogynist. <laughs> Misogyny. Yeah, misogynist. Is that the word? It I, sounds like misogynist, so it can't be right. Mis, mis, yeah, it's got to be misogynist, right? I guess. Misogynation. If you're against misogynation. So unless you're some kind of angry weirdo against with a shotgun, there's some idea that um, not only will we all inevitably wind up at this color, but that it's the most beautiful color. Mm. That we all look the best at this color. And, you know, humanity has just been one long sexual contest yeah. trying to arrive at this perfect South Pacific Island tan. You know? Right. There is an argument, and it used to be a, a delightful one, although now in our current day, pre-apocalypse, no one can take any joy in America anymore. It doesn't seem like it all has to just be ugly, but we used to believe that America was a melting pot and that that was one of the wonderful things about it. We would literally be melting and we'd be bragging about it. Like, <laughs> it's so good, we're all going to melt. Yeah, melting into one another. I melt with you was our... <laughs> <laughs> by modern by modern by, English? By modern English. That was the national anthem for a brief period in the 80s. It really was. A, a lot of people don't know that. Because America was the place first, I think, like outside of Paris maybe, where the greatest number of people from the greatest number of countries around the world had an opportunity to mix and mingle. Uh, New York City was the first real, truly international city. And I guess it, it worked. It worked. People didn't, you know, on some level, didn't mind having Irish and Italians and whatnot. Right, people were, eventually. You know, <laughs> after many, many brutal deaths. But uh, The Irish were the police and the Italians were the criminals and then they fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful uh, Romeo and Juliet story. Yeah. No, wait, what is, what is the archetype for that where the criminal falls in love with the... Oh, it's the Stockholm Syndrome. Yes, it's the fugitive <laughs> where Tommy Lee Jones yeah. marries Harrison Ford at yeah, the end. there it is. In my supercut in my head. Tommy Lee Jones being the Irish. Because <laughs> he's extremely Irish in that movie. Yeah. I don't care, he says. <laughs> I want a hard target search of every hen house, outhouse, and rainbow where me lucky charms might be. Oh, be good for me, But now, and this is one of the ways, futurelings, that we can tell we're close to the apocalypse, this is no longer a fun narrative for a large portion of our country. Now we're trying to trying to separate all these lovers again. By Try, trying to pull Tommy Lee Jones off of Harrison Ford. Yeah, taking the Irish cops and putting them back in their Irish cop neighborhoods. <laughs> and the Italians go back into their their little corrals. and the, you Do know. not cross the tracks to That's the gangster right. neighborhood, a charming Irish apple-stealing cop. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to keep away from that mochaccino color and go back to being a, a bunch of Crayolas in a box. The melting pot is kind of unfashionable on all sides, right? Like, right now. Like if you're an angry racist, the last thing you want to see is your daughter marrying one of them. And if you're an angry liberal, you do not want to. Yeah, the idea that the, my beautiful Senegalese background might be lost into the uh, the sea of Americanness is also kind of uh, right. off-putting. Right. On the left, we want all the cultures to be sort of maintained in their uh, separate museum purity. mint condition. Right, where, where, where there's no more obligation to become American and to learn English and to adopt American traditions because those are all the result of, of white uh, hegemony. And, and, you know, and something would be lost, like tears and rain. Right. 
the, if, the, the ancient songs of my people. Sure. If my neighbors don't make that amazing smelling Middle Eastern food anymore, but instead, you know, they just open a can of chili or whatever. Like, what did we do? Right. We broke my amazing Middle Eastern neighbors. Well, so here we are, the last remnant of this dying breed of people that still believe in America and still believe in a melting pot. And I mean... And we're, we're speaking to an audience for which it's entirely irrelevant. Well, who knows? We may be speaking to futurelings that are truly the inevitable result of this intermixing, where they feel like the balalaika and two turntables and a microphone are both part of their inheritance and they don't remember it being the balalaika being an instrument of the Russians and two turntables and a microphone being the instrument of Los Angeles, California. I do like to <laughs> or or Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> that is the, now the state song of California. I do like to imagine that we're speaking to a future that shares all my values, you know, that we're just hmm. happen to be living in some uh What's the word for like a hiatus? Isn't there some term for this? Interregnum. An interregnum. Thank you, John, for being my thesaurus. Like we're just living in some <laughs> interregnum period. Thank you, my fat chicken friend. <laughs> Where my views are temporarily unfashionable, but clearly they will be vindicated in time. And I would like to speak to... Uh, well, I feel like some of this stuff is just inevitable. You cannot maintain a world in which cultures do not intermix. It's just not going to happen. It's not possible because you raise a kid and his best friend is from Somalia and the best friend brings some Somalian stuff and says, hey, this is one of the fun things about growing up in my house. And the kid is like, that sounds great. And pretty soon they're sharing. It's just the whole nature of putting people together in one place. Sure. All these things only get maintained if nobody ever meets a Somalian or your kids don't have any friends that are yeah. gay or trans or uh, Ukrainian or you know, whatever. Those are the three categories that sprang to mind. <laughs> gay, Please check trans, one box. Or gay, U trans, Ukrainian. Ukrainian. You can only be one of the three. Yeah. We, we want to encourage kids to be friends with each other, but in doing so... Yeah, ignorance is the only thing keeping a lot of these barriers up, keeping the cop neighborhood away from the mafioso neighborhood. You can't do it because the, because the Italian girl is going to see the Irish boy across that fence, and she's, they're going to want to be together, just like in Goodfellas. Probably the other way around. I want to see the Italian boy with the Irish uh, lass, the Irish oh, uh, see, like Colleen. That. The Colleen. <laughs> one, <laughs> one might say. <laughs> Romeo and Colleen. Uh, have we gotten pretty far afield from the idea of a sitcom about uh, the Fuhrer? No, I think that this is all in keeping. I mean, I, I These are the themes of the pilot episode. <laughs> there was a time, and I think 1990 is a very interesting moment in history, right? Because it's immediately post- the fall of the Berlin Wall. It's immediately post the sort of initial reconciliation between East and West, but we're still in this weird, I mean, there is still a Soviet Union in 1990. It hasn't completely dissolved. But that almost makes it a more utopian time because yeah. we don't know what terrible oligarchy is about to follow. I, I remember that time as just like, I can't believe it. We're living in uh, this uh, paradise where everything seems to be going the right way for a change. Well, you remember, know? it was called the end of history. The end of history. Thank goodness we don't have all these uh, wars and worries of wars anymore. Yeah, you know, Fukuyama is still out there writing books and positing things. He hangs out with the Dow 30,000 guy. Is that right? No, I don't know. I like to imagine <laughs> them just writing instantly discredited <laughs> books all the time. Just as soon as they send it, like he's, he's sending his editor, like I predict that a, uh, uh, 80s real estate scam artist will never be president. I'd like the day he sends it. It's out of date. Yeah. Right. I mean, think about that. He wrote the end of history 
everyone quoted him for like two years. Sadly, that book was published on September 10th, 2001 <laughs> at 11.59. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. But so, I mean, this was a moment, I guess, where, where someone pitching a sitcom where Hitler is turned into a caricature Let's talk a little about what the caricature was before oh, yeah, we get okay. into the historical So I've never seen the show, so lay it on me. It's set in a Berlin apartment building in 1938, mm-hmm. where uh, Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun live together, uh, are living as a, just a normal domestic lifestyle. He goes off every day to work at the Reichstag, mm-hmm. and she stays home and makes, uh, uh, what's some German dish Strudel. stuffed? Le, le, um, Latkes? No, uh, labor canoodle. Yes, she, she stays home and makes... Um, yeah, labor canoodle. Labor canoodle, a thing you may have just made up. I'm not no, sure. No, labor canoodle Verst. is it? A... Doesn't she make verst, verst and okay. uh, and spetzel? Spetzel. It's a very spetzel episode. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, old honey, me. What did I do now? Oh, tonight you will make a schnitzel. What a joke! You must be real mad at me, honey. I'm a very, very bad Hitler. <laughs> Come here, baby. Touch me. You've been late for your dinner every night this week. Ava, babe, please. I'm the Fuhrer. <laughs> and, uh, and they have two neighbors, the, the Goldensteins, who are in the pilot never pointedly Jewish. Right. But they're called the Goldensteins. Goldensteins. And in subsequent never aired episodes, that becomes a plot point. Arnie Goldenstein, you are a slob. Whatever happened to the glamour? Where did our romance go? How do I know where you put things? I can't even find my shirts. <laughs> Having them called the Goldensteins is very offensive to me uh, in my 21st century uh, oversensitivity. I'm just mad about it. Is there a list of Jewish last names that are not overly Jewish that well, you because, think they could have gone because with? Because Gold is a, is a Jewish surname, and Goldenstein just feels like... It's, gilding, it's golding the lily. It is, it is. It's, it's gelting the lily. It's gelting the lily. It's a little much. And I can say right now, speaking from uh, some small expertise on Hitler, that this is historically inaccurate. He did not, in fact, just live in some random Jefferson-style high-rise? <laughs> no. Moving on up <laughs> to the Sudetenland. <laughs> yeah, there's, so here's the thing about the, about the show. There is no premise of historical accuracy whatsoever. No one speaks with a German accent. There's almost no references to Nazism or World War II at all, except that the main character is made up as Hitler with a mustache, but he's wearing like an Argyle sweater, like a 50s sitcom dad. Wow. And the whole thing is uh, just insanely faithfully modeled after 
The Honeymooners or I Love Lucy, some American, aggressively American 50s sitcom. Right. So Hitler does not talk in a German accent. He talks like Jackie Gleason. <laughs> like Hitler comes in, he's like, hi, honey, I'm home. And then he finds out that she's burned dinner or whatever. And he's like, whoa, whoa. one of these days, Ava. Ava. It's insane. The neighbors are the, Mer they're essentially played like the Mertzes, Fred and Ethel Mertz. Yeah. From I Love Lucy. Except there is a little bit, and it's funny because I never really thought of the Jeffersons as being an evolution of the Honeymooners. But I guess all subsequent sitcoms are basically the Honeymooners with some minor modification. I guess I guess I thought of the Jeffersons because it's an apartment-dwelling sitcom. Well, but also but George Jefferson was the first, like, black racist on television, right? George really didn't like his white, his stupid white neighbors. And there were all these comedic situations where his like super honky next door neighbors would come over and borrow a cup of sugar. And George Jefferson was sort of confronted with like, because he had moved uptown, right. Confronted with these dumb whites that he had spent his whole life kind of. And it doesn't just flip the Archie Bunker script because, you know, George Jefferson kind of struts, yeah. you know, he's a preening peacock, right? You know, he's not some, and is Hitler also a preening peacock? He's not peacock? grumpy. No, Hitler is very much the beleaguered oh. husband, you know, the, the slow burn kind of Jackie Gleason, Ava, you know, because he, he tells her not to tell the neighbors that Neville Chamberlain is coming over. <laughs> and uh, she's very impressed. It does, the plot makes no sense. Ava Braun is very impressed that Neville Chamberlain, <laughs> one of the most powerful men in Europe, is coming over to our little apartment. Honey, you're essentially married to Hitler, you know? Right. Wait, were they, they were not married in 38, right? They were not married until four like, hours before they killed themselves in the <laughs> Hitler bunker. Right, not the Archie bunker. No. The <laughs> this, is, this is the second most beloved sitcom bunker after Edith. No, they were not married, and Hitler concealed their relationship. And I think that that we now understand that Hitler was Hitler's one true love was his cousin. Oh, I guess I didn't know any of this. This and, is this is not me. It must not be true because it is not covered in the pilot episode of yeah. Hi, Honey, I'm Home. Well, th this is part of his dark secret. Uh, he was in love with his much younger cousin who committed suicide, oh. and Ava was. Uh, part of that love triangle because he was also seeing Ava at the time and there's some suspicion that his cousin committed suicide out of jealousy or heartbrokenness. His cousin is female. Yes. Does he try to dress Ava up like her, like Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo or anything? Interesting. I wasn't, I don't have that much insight into Hitler's uh, like sexual psyche, love life. I feel like I should be on the writing staff of Heil Honey, I'm Home. I got tons of ideas. I'm, I just can't. As you're describing it, I cannot get inside the mind of the writers and showrunner right. to see, like, why is this? Why does this exist? Yeah, why did Hitler, I get it, like, a sitcom with Hitler. I get that pitch. A hitcom. A hitcom. Hit, yeah, a hitcom. You're trying to get the L in there, and I don't know if it can Hitler, be done. Hitlercom. Uh, Hitlercom actually sounds like a modern corporation that deals in, uh, technology services, right? It sounds like some kind of nerd convention. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just went to Hitlercom. <laughs> uh, but what, as they were fleshing it out, they had to arrive really quickly at the place where it was like, oh, this is stupid, but they just kept going. It's the kind of thing that you could easily see working as a sketch. Yeah. Right. I mean, this 1990 is kind of a boom time in, in, uh, kind of you know, newly outre sketch comedy. Mm -hmm. Am I saying that word right? Yeah. Is it outre? I would say outre. Does it have an outre. accent over the E? 
There is an accent <laughs> over the E. Then I guess it's outre. Because, you know, uh, SNL is in some kind of very fertile boom time. Right. It's the Dana Carvey, John Lovitz, Phil Hartman years. We also have uh, Living Color. And Living Color is just about to turn um, sketch comedy on its head. Very much funny. I, the first season of Living Color, to me, is funnier than any single SNL season. It's really great. What about uh, Conan, Kids in the Hall? What, what, what? Kids in the Hall, I believe, is also contemporaneous. Yeah. And, and Conan O'Brien is about to come on the air in 93 and just start to do crazy high concept sketches. Right. You know, and his writers include like Robert Smigel and Louis C.K. and this whole new generation. How about Mr. Show? That came a little later? That's later 90s, yeah, I want to say. What yeah. year did that start? Like 96? It feels ni- mid-90s. Maybe it's earlier than that. Anyway, so like you can you can definitely see SNL doing a, a funny gag where Hitler is a sitcom dad, right? A sort of funny gag. Yeah, with Dana Carvey playing Hitler. It's like a one a 115 sketch, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's not the strongest sketch. But can you imagine trying to sustain it for... 13 episodes? Well, and is he speaking, are they speaking with American accents? Yeah, they speak with these aggressive, I looked this up, the Ava Brown actress is Canadian, the rest are all British actors, but they all speak with these 50s (laughs) New York accents. Like, (laughs) what? Like Arnie Goldenstein is uh, is essentially Fred Mertz or uh, Norton from, Norton from The Honeymooners. This is bananas. And so Neville Chamberlain comes over and he's, uh, he's uh, very, uh, condescending to Hitler. Does the actor look like Neville Chamberlain? He looks he looks quite a bit like Neville Chamberlain. He's got the mustache. And he's, oh, you've been a naughty boy invading uh, invading the Sudetenland. You, we don't want to make sure you're not a naughty boy. And is Hitler, does Hitler like have a have a naughty boy side? Is he like pleased yeah, with he, himself? Yeah, he is a little bit like a, I don't know who's the TV character, like maybe a, a Oliver Hardy or something. Right, or a, a, a snidely whiplash. Yeah, except he's not, he's not conniving really. He, oh. he does seem, just seem like he's, mischievous. Right. You know, like... He's got his hand in the cookie jar. Yeah, and he's always dreaming of, you know, the only time there's any Nazi or World War II related content at all is when Hitler occasionally has daydreams of uh, invading Poland. You know, that's just sort of their punchline. I mean, I have daydreams about invading Poland. Don't we all? But we we know not to bring them up when when the Chamberlains are over. (laughs) Right, sure, sure, of course. And there's a whole plot line where uh, Neville Chamberlain has brought the Munich Agreement to be signed to where Hitler will promise he won't be a naughty boy anymore. And it accidentally gets stuck in the icebox for some reason. And they can't read it. So instead of saying peace in our time, they pull it out of the fridge and they're all saying peas in brine? Yeah. No, no, no. It says peaches in tins. Uh-huh. So it's all this hilarious because if you put two a, Ronnie's wordplay. If you put a piece of paper in the freezer, it immediately smears whatever in, the into, ink is. Into other food-related <laughs> words. <laughs> so this is all happening in the pilot episode? Or, or is Neville Chamberlain a, a, a regular guest on the no, show? No, this is, a, I think he's a guest star. And uh, not to spoil anything, but it turns out this was the only episode that ever aired. What? No. A tragedy, right? They never, so... It's the only episode that aired, but are you aware of them having filmed any further episodes? Yes. Apparently there are seven to eight other episodes Whoa. that were taped. And but are they are they just like the day the clown cried and no one's no one's seen them? I mean, are there, are scripts around? Uh, I think scripts are around. I think they're actually, a lot of these, uh, even that late, the British were just copying over their sitcoms and reusing the tapes. But I think tapes do survive of this. Wow. They've never been widely seen, mostly I think because no one wants that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Even the weird obsessives are like, nah, I think I'll pass on Heil, honey, I'm home. There wasn't much of backlash, interestingly. 
it just got canceled because it was terrible? There was, uh, it is terrible. So, yeah. so Jeff Atkinson has said that they would get a, a studio audiences in. It was filmed before a live studio audience. The main joke is not Nazis. The main joke is American sitcoms of the 50s. Right. So it's all just dressed to the hilt. The laughter sounds very canned. There's even a little crawl at the top of the episode that says that this was just found in the vaults of legendary American TV executive Brandon huh. Thalberg. What an interesting conceit. <laughs> right. Maybe <laughs> because they knew that otherwise people would be like, why is this sitcom about Hitler airing? Right. You need the distancing. Oh, sure. Of course, it would have been a much funnier in the mid-50s. This makes the joke even weirder, though, that really they just wanted to do a parody of American 50s sitcoms. Yeah. And yet they were like, oh, oh, oh and here's how we'll plus it. <laughs> What if the dad is Hitler? <laughs> like, why would you do that? So can you give me some insight into what else was on British television at the time? I mean, I know there were a lot of legacy shows that had been running for 15 years, but what else was on British TV in 1990? Interestingly, I think that's what led to the monumental historic creation of Heil Honey, I'm Home. Mm. Um Satellite TV was very new then. Um, just for the benefit of our future listeners who will not believe this, uh, as late as 1990, we were essentially still in kind of this media monoculture where in the States, for example, there were three TV channels and you watched whatever was on and it probably wasn't good. Right, like Fox was brand new. That's exactly what's going on at this time in the US. I think 1989, The Simpsons debut. So Fox is... Uh, only a couple years old. And it was the first time we'd had a fourth channel that wasn't PBS, a fourth commercial TV channel. Because you would just watch, you know, something terrible could be on. Uh, Empty Nest, some random situation comedy starring Richard Mulligan, a guy nobody likes or cares about, as a doctor in Florida, a job nobody likes or cares about. <laughs> and 45 million people would watch this every night <laughs> because it was there, right, you know? Right, It was uh, it. And that explains actually, now that I think about it, a lot about American TV, because the jokes, you know, the, the goal was just to keep people from changing the channel. Right. Because you there know. were two other shows they could be watching. Yeah. So never, don't, don't make this very good. Just never make it bad enough that anyone would care enough to, to press the button. Sure. Alf was sure, on TV. Exactly. Alf was a show about uh, uh, like a, a domestic situation comedy, except the Jackie Gleason character was a foam puppet portraying an alien that liked to eat cats. He ate cats. That's his only... And that's sort of the sitcom thing where the character has one thing, you know? Right. Alf likes to eat cats. Uh, Liz <laughs> Lemon likes junk food. Uh, the judge on Night Court is into Mel Torme for some reason, you know? And that's kind of how Hitler is here. He has none of Hitler's qualities, except that he's really into invading countries. <laughs> France, <laughs> Poland, you know? That, that's his one sitcom <laughs> trait. So, and what... Was this the BBC... No, this is, so this is an upstart outfit called Galaxy. Uh, Sky TV has recently brought satellite television to the British Isles. Uh -huh. And they already have all the good stuff. They have all the soccer you want to watch. They probably have HBO and MTV ported over from stateside. Was that a Rupert Murdoch joint? Yes. As, you know, people in the future will no doubt be aware of the date that Murdoch launched his satellites because... That was the day he became the Bond villain who eventually ended civilization. Sure, this probably. was like this was the 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 day the fuse got lit, and I'm sure future generations will have all of that. It'll be like uh, the stock market crash of 1929, sure, except the, of culture. It's the Reichstag fire. Yeah, to use a Heil Honey, I'm Home related metaphor. Yes. So before then, he's just some Australian newspaper editor, I guess, and after that, he's you know the guy who begins to control all the world's media and eventually lead to the nuclear conflagration. 
But there's this upstart service called uh, BSB. I think it's British Satellite Broadcasting or something. And they decide they're going to play Fox. So if you'll recall, Fox's brand early on was to be kind of the edgy, direct, earthy channel that would give you the Simpsons saying, eat my shorts, right. and Al Bundy doing toilet jokes. Right. You know? Right. It was, it was rock and roll. Right. And there was a lot of uh, pearl clutching in the media about how uh, the media have, has fallen sure, now. the decline of standards. And what was this? People are going to start flying on airplanes in sweatpants. Look at these vulgarians <laughs> now, you know. Al Bundy uh, and Peg. He puts his hand down the front of his pants. When he watches TV. Ugh. Can you I'm imagine? I'm still disgusted by it. Can you imagine Danny Thomas doing that? Um, I can't. So BSB is the Fox of Britain? Right. And I think it's, my idea is that it's part of a concerted plan to do these kind of faux edgy kind of things and get some media. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's a no brainer for them to green light a sitcom about Adolf Hitler uh -huh. because, you know, that just jumps over every level of putting your hand down your pants and skateboarding disrespectfully and gets right to Nazis. Right. It's amazing to think because now in our contemporary time of 2018, there is no way at a thousand levels that this show could get greenlit. And it doesn't feel like greenlighting that show is a thing from the past to me, as much as it feels like it's a thing from an alternate future. It's ominous. They, yeah, they felt like that was where we were headed, at, like culturally, that nothing was sacred anymore. But somehow between 1990 and 2018, we have either gone back for a little while or have taken a different course to the future where now everything is sacred and there would be no way you could do a show that was that. It's not even that it's politically incorrect. It's just, it's just seems bonkers. Yeah. And I think particularly because the ideology and the iconography is Nazi related. Right. You know, that's something that I'm sure the stakes seemed very low in the 1990s, you know, like, you know, well, luckily here's one thing that's never going to be popular again. The national, so <laughs> national socialism, you know? So right. why not make it a, a hilarious punchline? It's been totally defanged by, right, right. it's been discredited for 45 years. Right, there are no Nazis anymore. Yeah, in 1990, it's very safe. In 2017, you put Hitler in a sitcom and uh, it's got all kinds of unpleasant associations because it's, there's now some controversy as to whether or not Hitler was a pretty great guy with some good ideas. Right. I don't think there's any controversy about that still, but yeah, right. There. Not in our listening audience or in this room. Right. And I think probably the number of actual Nazi sympathizers now versus 1990, it's probably remained constant. It's just that we're much more, we have much more access to their contemptible thought because there's Twitter. Sure. They have a yeah. better platform. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash 
start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So how did this show end? Well, the first episode ends with Neville Chamberlain going back to England. But what you're saying is... How does the show get canceled? Yeah. Why did we never see the subsequent episodes with Goebbels and uh, Stalin guest starring and uh, Adolf and Ava trying to kill their neighbors, the Goldensteins? It seems w- like one episode wouldn't be enough for a network to be able to gauge whether it, whether they had a potential hit. And certainly they didn't cancel it because of questions of taste. There was a little bit of that. So first of all, studio audiences didn't get it at all. They They taped it twice. Once with a uh, young college audience, once with an older audience. The college audience thought Nazis were funny, but didn't think, didn't get the 50 sitcom references. Okay. The older audience understood that it was a parody of 50 sitcoms, but didn't think Nazis were funny because they'd been bombed. Sure. You know, there's kind of this thing where for a lot of British people, maybe it's safe to laugh at Nazis because, you know, they won, you know, stiff upper lip and sense of humor got them through the blitz. And it's, it's good to laugh at them, but if they are like vanquished. And, and also, like, made ridiculous. Yes. And I think that was the idea. Like, we're doing the same thing Bugs Bunny and Chaplin did. You know, we're making Hitler seem goofy. And it's not actually all that clear in the pilot. Like, Hitler is not the target of all the fun. Right. Um, but I guess it goes with this British idea that humor should be cheeky. You know, yep. that you should be mildly disrespectful to authority. And apparently, in this case, they expanded that to include <laughs> the Nazi high command. <laughs> we should just be, we should just tweak their noses a bit, you know. We should be a little rude. But not too much. No, you don't want to have a satirical edge. Right, you right. You know, that's, that's not what cheek is all about. Um, so they had a problem getting anyone to laugh. And I think there, w- there were some quotes from uh, Jewish groups when it came out saying that, uh, you know, this is not a subject for comedy. But the, the quote from the Jewish organization I saw is that, is that, I imagine very few intelligent people will watch it once they see a few seconds of it. <laughs> so it looks like even the, even the Anti-Defamation League knew they did not have much to worry about. Right, they were like, okay, uh, this will die on its own. Hitler just shot himself in the foot. This is the sitcom equivalent <laughs> of invading Russia. Basically, he shot himself in the foot as a precursor to shooting himself in the head. (laughs) So what really killed the show was not some outcry like it it was not a social media outcry like you would have today. You know, today, eight hours later, that show would be gone once the ball got rolling. Sure. And the network would pretend that they had no idea how this had ever happened. Yeah, they'd be Hitler shamed (laughs) and the show would be canceled. What happened in this case was Rupert Murdoch's Sky TV Leviathan buys out Galaxy. He wants the, he wants the competition. He wants their TV license. Whoa! So they merge to form, you know, the new Sky Television, Sky UK, whatever it is. This was back when all of this could ha- could happen over the course of twenty four hours. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I saw that Heil Hitler. I'm home. I want the whole network. I'll take it. No, what happened was, uh, you know, he just wanted their TV license. He did not want the competition. So over the fall, after they aired the pilot, but before the new episodes were scheduled to start airing in December or January, this massive corporate merger takes place. And the new Sky TV does not need this fake, edgy Al Bundy brand. Uh And the the real uh, victim here, the real casualty is Hitler-themed comedy. So it just got canceled as part of a corporate merger... Uh, because they were like, it was like Alaska Airlines buying Virgin. They were like, oh, we're just going to change all the signs. Can you imagine them calling in the guy who plays Hitler? I'm sorry, we already have Rupert Murdoch. We're going to, we're going to have to let you go. Well, and so there is actually one example of this layer of mistake or this kind of mistake happening like about a decade later, 
which is the sitcom That's My Bush, uh, which was a sitcom with George Bush, George W. Bush, as like the beleaguered dad, right? In it's, a, it's, it's all the same jokes. In a sitcom, but he was the sitting president, and it debuted on September 10th, 2001. Is that correct? Is that true? I think it is. I think it debuted uh, immediately before September 11th, and George W. Bush, uh, as this like, laughable, bumbling dad was suddenly not funny at all. It aired back in April, actually. It's April. A, it's a pre-9-11 phenomenon. <clears throat> but, and so there were, I actually remember seeing episodes of it on the comedy channel or whatever. I, yeah, I saw promos for it. Uh, that's my Bush. Um, and, and I guess I don't understand the controversy about it. Maybe well, in the wake of Bush v. Gore, because we'd had bumbling... We had bumbling Chevy Chase's Gerald Ford for decades. By yeah, then. it was. I think the the initial controversy was just that it was disrespectful of him because it portrayed him not just as bumbling like Ford, but as like a village idiot. But then after nine eleven, when it was no longer possible to say anything mocking about any aspect of the presidency or American government or the military, it was I think immediately canceled or just. And they, there are probably 20 episodes of that sitting in a can somewhere. That's what I'd buy a DVD of. There's actually a 90s American analog, which I only vaguely remembered. Can you tell me anything about the beloved sitcom The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer? I can tell you nothing about it. So I have the vaguest memory of this. Let's see. It lasted... Uh, it lasted nine shows, but only four were aired. Mm -hmm. Hi, honey, I'm home syndrome. It's about a uh, a black English gentleman who serves as Abraham Lincoln's valet. Really? So it's set in the Lincoln White House and it's it's got sitcom tropes, but it's a slavery sitcom, basically. Wow. With, you know, abolition and emancipation proclamation and civil war jokes. So it really does feel like an alternate future. Where you could just where do this that. was the level of irony. I mean, because in the nineties when we were both in our youth, irony was the only the only way we were really dealing with uncomfortable topics. We just got like real eye-rolly about everything. And then I guess 9-11 was the, was the beginning of the new earnestness. I don't think it lasted though. You, you see all those quotes from September and October 2001 where everybody and their dog is saying that irony is now dead. Right. And everything's going to be emo forever. You know, and the, and the comedy shows were off the air for like two weeks, you know? Yeah, right, right. But but there was a tonal shift that now feels like sure, and it was the end of his. There's the end of the end of history, right? You know, there's now there's now higher stakes, right? We're back in a world with with peril and not a clear, obvious narrative arc toward goodness. It's the same thing that happened in 2016. Well, I'm not sure that feels better. <laughs> it's also uh, you have to remember this was happening at a time where the family sitcom still was the dominant form of comedy which is not true at all in our day. And maybe it's true for you, future listeners. Maybe uh, the sitcom has returned. The family domestic sitcom is huge in your time and you do massive uh, festivals with live reenactments of, uh, <laughs> of Make Room for Daddy episodes. It may be true that future listeners have only developed three channels worth of material. Maybe 20th century sitcoms are all that survived and they have tried to reconstruct civilization just based on what they see on who's the boss and uh -huh. growing pains. Like all their, all their buildings have only three walls. They're just open on the fourth side. It's incredibly cold, you know, if, if global warming hasn't caught up yet. Well, with that in mind, future listeners, nanu, nanu. <laughs> and that concludes Heil, honey, I'm home. 
Entry 577-PR1413. Certificate number 42615. In the Omnibus. In the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, tweets of ours are archived at at Omnibus Project. Our respective handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. I also continue to maintain an Instagram account under my same name. Our address for email, which was a popular form of written electronic communication, was theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Future residents of Earth, our voices come to you from your distant past. As a result, you have knowledge that we do not know. We don't know how long our civilization is going to survive, our interregnum, if you will. Uh, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may be delayed indefinitely, may, it may never come. But if the worst does come soon, this recording, like every recording we make, may be our final word to you. But we certainly hope that Providence will allow us to be with you again soon for another entry in the omnibus. <laughs>